Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Here in this very rich and privileged country, we have kids going to sleep hungry, going to school hungry. So I would also say, hashtag no kid hungry, (laughs) share our strength. I would. I mean, it's a great way, you know, to really feel like you're doing something that could make a difference to change the pace of America in many ways. We're in Washington, D.C. with two entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and restaurant investors. It's the perfect combination (laughs) for Ad Passion and Stir. Uh, Trenner Williams, uh, family physician yeah. and entrepreneur, founder of Clinovations, and now a new company called Socially Determined. That's We're right. going to talk all about that. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Gene Case almost needs no introduction, digital pioneer and CEO of the Case Foundation, who's been involved in so many good causes. I can't even name them, but uh, particularly close to my heart is she's been a very generous supporter of Share Our Strength and our No Kid Hungry campaign, and a really philanthropic guide and mentor to many of us. Gene, thanks, thanks for being Billy. here. It's a delight to be with you guys. Um, as we were talking earlier, yeah. one of the things I realized is that um, we usually have a chef here or a restaurateur. We don't today, but you're both invested in restaurants. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking back to Trenner when uh, there was a time when we talked and you mentioned that you actually kind of grew up in the restaurant I- business? You said you worked in maybe 18 or 20? Yeah. So I grew up, I started, my dad used to, among other things, manage restaurants. And I started working for him when I was 12 years old, bussing tables um, for $10 a night plus tips and kisses. Where? What town? (laughs) In Roanoke, Virginia. (laughs) Tips and kisses. I like that. It was great. It was so much fun. And I got addicted to the restaurant world and to food. Um, It was an amazing experience in the family and culture, I think. Between that and my mom as a social worker, it's amazing how much they both have shaped me. I am definitely their child. And what led to med school and becoming a doc? Are you the first doc in your family? Uh, I am, uh, at least for uh, many generations. Um, It's interesting. So my mom is a social worker. She did, among other things, um, has been the director for Meals on Wheels and the Area Agency on Aging for over 30 years. Uh, And that passion and around giving back to communities was a huge influence. And then the other interesting thing was my dad among, you know, I mentioned was in the restaurant business, but he also was in sales. And we had a time where he had variable income um, that stopped coming (laughs) in. Um, We uh, lost our house and cars. I remember when I was 13 years old Um, and we were always fine. We had great family. And it's interesting listening to some of your podcasts about sort of the network around people and the and the safety net that people have, we were really fortunate. We had a great safety net and people that took care of us. But what I realized at the time and as I thought about career is that I wanted something stable, right? Something that um, I could lock my, my teeth in and, and healthcare uh, really called to me. And I went, um, had the chance to go to Virginia Tech undergrad and Marshall for medical school and really loved it and ended up at Kaiser for residency and only practiced full time for two years. And um, you can't run from genetics. My dad uh, in the the sales world, I am clearly like his son. I am. I was born to sell, um, and so I, I I left full time practice in two thousand three, and have been in the business world uh, since that time. Gene Case, you've been in the business world for a long time, but you're also invested in restaurants and in a slightly different way than Trenner, uh, almost from an impact investing point of view of restaurants that are changing our food system. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about your sure. past. Sure. Well, listening to Trenner, I had no idea our backgrounds mm-hmm. were so similar. My mom was actually a waitress. Really? She was a single mom raising well, four kids. Where was she a waitress? Uh, in South Florida. Oh. And so I would come home from school, and she would go to work for the night shift. And um, maybe it's like a, a viral thing in families, but if someone works in a restaurant, it's not uncommon that you find more and more working in the That's restaurant. Right. So both my brothers uh, worked in restaurants. They went into the business? They did. My brother was a chef, and my other brother was kind of a manager for Red Lobster and opened Red Lobsters all over the United States for a number of years. So a lot of restaurant, I think, in the background. But also a mom who really influenced me in the modeling of giving back in her own hard work and sacrifice. I'm sure you've told this story, but how did you get from (laughs) South Florida to AOL? Well, it is a bit of a circuitous route, but I think it's good that we started with our moms and sort of what some of our influences were because really she modeled giving back in every way and, you know, being careful to pay attention to the needs of others, even if we didn't have a lot. And so that was definitely modeled for me. But, you know, I was a recipient of philanthropy myself because I was raised by the single mom. I went to school on full scholarship, et cetera, even through my early years at a private school. Um, And, you know, I kind of had the opportunity to have a front row seat to sort of um, the uh, unequal access that existed in society. And I benefited from people like you said, Trenner, who took me under their wing and gave me opportunity. But I certainly saw a lot of neighbors and others who didn't have those same opportunities. So I kind of knew from a very early age I wanted to empower people. But I first thought I was going to do that through politics. I came to Washington actually working for President Reagan, believe it or not. But then I heard about this little startup down the street. It wasn't AOL. It was two companies before AOL. (laughs) And um, they were starting what was called an online service. No one knew what that was at the time, right? But it was to become the Internet. And then I worked there. I went on to GE, who tried to do an online service. And then I was recruited by this company that was to become AOL. And that's how I landed there. And uh, now you're in a position to be a philanthropist. uh, the other side. benefited (laughs) from philanthropy. Uh, but some of your strategy as a philanthropy as a philanthropist is really built around this idea of impact investing. Um, yeah. So describe what that means and describe how it led you to in to start a winery to invest in sweet greens and <laughs> kava and other restaurants. Stuff. Yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, the sweet green and the kava investment is through my husband's investment firm Revolution. So he's really taken the lead on that. And I think, as you know, we're dear friends with Jose Andres and invested in the yes. Think Food Group and really proud of that group as well. Um, But, you know, I think our entrepreneurial roots really taught us the power of the entrepreneurial spirit more broadly. And so as we came into, particularly as I came into philanthropy as CEO of the Case Foundation, you know, I looked around at tables and I saw a lot of brilliant, dedicated people. But what I didn't see were entrepreneurs. Often, you know, sort of the business seat wasn't at the table. And, you know, one of the things we've noted, and Billy, I often hold you out as a great model of this, you bring an entrepreneurial approach to everything that you do. The No Kid Hungry campaign has been so effective and your impact has been so strong because you work like an entrepreneur even though you're in the social sector, right? So impact investing is really a movement that's taken hold in recent years that calls on entrepreneurs to start companies that will provide both a financial return and a social return. And we're super excited by this new class of companies that we're seeing developing both around the United States, but also in places like Africa, India, South America. We've seen them all over the globe, and it's really exciting. I think it's fair to say that Trenner is an example of this. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because, you know, you're, you've been an entrepreneur, and, right. um, and Clinovation's now socially determined. Say a little bit about why um, 
being family physician wasn't enough because that sounds yeah. like a pretty big job. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, but what you were trying to accomplish from a social point of view, as Gene's talking about, sure. from a social impact point of view, what led to these two companies? Sure. And to be clear, being a family physician, a physician, being a nurse, being somebody in the care delivery world is incredibly important. And so I, in no way do I want to diminish that work. Um, what I saw at the time, and this was back in the early 2000s, was this opportunity or maybe a gap that clinicians and specifically physicians weren't as involved in the business of healthcare and in technology. And you remember the early 2000s and dot-coms and the interesting world and how things were growing. Um, and uh, in healthcare, there really, uh, again, seemed to be an opportunity, especially the beginning stages of electronic health records. And it was mostly IT experts and business leaders that were part of these solutions. And um, I had to convince my parents, I remember, when I was leaving full-time practice as a medical, direct, medical director, and I was still a lieutenant um, in the Navy Reserve, so I still had the chance to practice and serve uh, in that capacity. Um, but I convinced them that I could have a greater and larger impact on healthcare outside of the individual delivery, and that could become a support resource for, um, for providers, for physicians, for health systems around the country. Um, I had the opportunity to consult at some great firms for uh, five or six years, and in 2008 founded Clinovations. The idea was to create a clinically focused consulting firm that sat at the center of care delivery and technology, and we were incredibly fortunate in 2009 when the Stimulus Act passed. Um, there was large-scale funding, $26-plus billion, set aside to support and incentivize practices and hospitals to put in technology with the idea that it would allow um, those organizations to deliver better, more effective care. Did you say $26 billion? I did say $26 Just billion. Just for that? Just for that. Um, so, yeah, lots of, lots of money set aside to be able to do that. What's interesting from a statistical standpoint in 2008, before the stimulus, about 5% of hospitals around the country had their physicians putting in orders electronically in the computer, okay? We're about 85% right now. Wow. It took us 30 years to get from zero to five, um, and now we're at 85. So massive that changes. Sounds familiar. Right? Yeah, sounds sounds like the internet revolution right. to Doesn't me. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. And then um, we had the good fortune. We were acquired by the advisory board company in 2014, a great uh, organization based here uh, in the district. Um, and I stayed on for two years as a managing partner with, with our firm and left over the last year as I started to think about um, this new opportunity related to the social determinants of health and social risk factors. Um, these things like housing security, food security, the intersection of hunger and health, access to transportation, what your social support network is, um, these factors that have massive real impact on our healthcare outcomes, healthcare spend, healthcare utilization, where people don't go for healthcare or where people don't go, frankly. Um, for healthcare, and unfortunately, the other truth is um, that we in traditional healthcare rarely capture that information. We don't ask about hunger uh, most of the time. We don't ask about transportation, whether you're able to get to the pharmacy. We don't ask if you're able to make your rent payment or your mortgage payment, or if you can keep your lights on uh, in your in your house. And we know, uh, and again, those things impact our healthcare outcomes. So, believe that there's has been a large opportunity to help organizations understand how to connect that information with clinical information and help match patients that have social needs with social interventions in their communities. 
So you're, you've both found ways, really, to use technology to yeah, that's right. not yeah. only make business work better, but to change right. the world. But I'm also struck by, Trenner, how your story, you know, we're very much focused on something we call faces of founders. We were sitting around our office a few years ago, and we Googled successful entrepreneur. And the face, and I'm looking mm-hmm. at Trenner, he's a, a white guy, okay? But, yeah. So hang on your seat when I say this, and you'll understand where I'm coming from because you're part of what I'm talking about. But what came up was a bunch of faces of white guys, most yeah. of them in Silicon Valley, yep. okay? White guys with hoodies, et cetera. And we're like, <laughs> gosh, as we move around the nation, we see people everywhere from all walks and all backgrounds building great companies. You know, what's happening? Is Why isn't the capital flowing to them? So we kind of drilled down on that, and we found some really shocking sort of data Um, Last year in venture capital, only 10% went to women. Only 1% went to companies with um, an African-American founder. And 78% of capital went to just three places, California, New York, and Boston. (laughs) And yet what we had seen is all over the nation and, frankly, all over the world, people from different backgrounds have lived different problems. So they're building new innovations for things that, like, elites on the coast will never think about. And, Trenner, you're a good example of that. Coming out of your medical background, as you have, you've seen problems, you've lived problems. You're in the best possible position to build an innovation for those problems versus someone sitting, you know, detached from the issue. And we see this in New Orleans where some of the teachers of the Teach for America, you know, people who went down right after Katrina, are now building great ed tech companies with new solutions or out in Nebraska, some of the farmers building ag tech solutions. And so, you know, we're just really trying to uh, put a spotlight on great entrepreneurs that exist everywhere with different backgrounds than you usually see who we really believe will be the next wave of innovation in the nation. Uh, you're listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. I'm here with Gene Case and Trenner Williams. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, uh, our live stream, Thanks for doing that. If you like the conversation, we hope you look for some of the others that we're having. We've released one, uh, in fact, on iTunes with Nora Puyon from Restaurant Nora here in Washington, D.C., and Patty Stonecipher from Martha's Table, and before that, the CEO of the Gates Foundation. So please go to iTunes, look for those, uh, rate them, comment, and uh, be part of this conversation. So for Trenner and Gene, um, what's the role of government in all of this. You worked for President Reagan. Gene, Trenner, I'm guessing you did not. Um, (laughs) Not. But but what is the, how do you think of the role of government in terms of either advancing or getting out of the way of what we're trying to Well, first of all, you have a little experience yourself over there, Mr. Shore, on on this particular topic. But, you know, the Case Foundation, everything we do has to be cross-sector so that we have a private sector partner, a public sector partner, and then hopefully other philanthropies and nonprofits playing a role with us. You know, government has certain capacities, right? Government has a capacity in many cases to really scale things. And so some of the more exciting things we've seen is in some of these cross-sector initiatives, You can let the private sector come in and maybe pilot some things, try some new things, bring that entrepreneurial spirit. And then when it's ready to go, the government can then take some of those solutions to scale. Um, And we forget that government actually has had a critical role in innovation. We don't think of government as innovative, but the Internet itself was started because of the government. And the tech that we enjoy today, I'm holding my iPhone Mm -hmm. and looking at it, everything comes out of President Started because of the government, you because because of the original Defense Department DARPA. investments. DARPA, and DARPA, DARPA's original. DARPA is because not everybody will know. Well, DARPA was uh, or is kind of a um, a defense related um, 
agency. Okay. Yeah, I think defense advanced research. Yeah, I was. Are you really calling agency. on me for the DARPA no, letters? I don't know myself. We should, but. <laughs> but it was out of that that the internet was born, and a lot of people forget that originally it was only available to scientific and academic organizations. Mm-hmm. In fact, AOL was you know in business for some number of years before it became legal to connect to the internet. But then when you think about well, it, wasn't until ni- 1992 yeah. that that was actually legal to let consumers connect to the internet. But think about President Kennedy's moonshot. Yes, he called for us to go to the moon, but what we often forget is that all the technology we enjoy today really was developed after yeah. that call to right. go to the moon. That was a, you know, it was a government-driven innovation-focused work with the private sector. Yeah. How do you think about role of government? Yeah, so I, I for us in healthcare, I don't know if you guys are aware, but it, it turns out healthcare is a, a decent percentage of our GDP. Um, of the nation's GDP. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's massive, right? It is such a big thing. Are you thing. suggesting it's complicated? It, it might be complicated. Um, but I, I would argue, and when you look at CMS, so for Medicare and Medicaid, right, so the largest payer in the country, right, is the government from a healthcare standpoint. Much of the innovation in healthcare reimbursement starts with CMS. It's star- CMS so, so Center of Medicare and yep. Medicaid Services, okay. right? So the 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 reimbursement and the insurance for both our poor as well as our elderly, and sometimes you are both poor and and elderly, which is really really hard to to manage. Um, and so CMS um, specifically has been really great at. Um, funding innovation at supporting health systems and practices to be innovative to change reimbursement and I am a huge believer in changing of financial incentives to drive innovation and to drive action and and I think um, Medicare and Medicaid have done an amazing job to be able to do that and I hope that that continues regardless um, of administration and, and it certainly has so far whether it's been Democrats or Republicans in office um, that has has been the case. And for us, when we look at opportunities from a business standpoint now, really believe that there is this great opportunity to partner. I was just at the state of Maryland at the offices in Baltimore um, today from a from a healthcare standpoint. We believe that they're to be successful in helping communities, patients, families rise up, right, and be able to address social risk factors like housing and food insecurity and transportation and social support networks. Well, we're, t- we're kind of getting into this area of how interconnected things are. And when you yeah. talk about social determinants of health, right. you talk about transportation, you talk about health care, you talk about all these things that affect it, um, it makes me curious, Gene, as, as, as a philanthropist, how do you decide where to intervene? There's so many places where you could be trying to, you know, put your finger and say, okay, this is the spot where we can have the highest impact. How do you sort that out? Yeah, well, we have a very unusual foundation in that our teams create business plans much as they would if they were doing a pitch competition, if you will. We look across sort of the landscape and say, what are the urgent needs across either the nation or the world, to be honest with you? And what can we uniquely address, right? I mean, that's really the question. I, when we got started, when we started our foundation, it was still kind of a white hot time in terms of profile for AOL. So we were deluged with hundreds and hundreds of requests every day. And I really thought, yeah. what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, they're all great requests. Like, yeah. And I realized before I could say no, I had to figure out what I would say yes to. And figuring out 
what we would say yes to really would require strategy. So we sort of know our strengths as a foundation where we can make a difference. And as I said earlier, we do almost nothing alone. Everything that we do, we do collaboratively with others and usually in a cross-sector way. So the team will put these business plans together. They will pitch the business plans. And it is from that that we determine the initiatives that we will invest in. And Billy, I think you know we're catalyst investors. So we typically are trying to catalyze movements. So we'll be in for two or three years and then we'll typically nest them somewhere as they take off. So that's the case with both the spaces of founders or what we call inclusive entrepreneurship. And and similarly with impact investing, but they have changed. You know, it's our 20th anniversary. It went really fast, really fast. Um, and so, you know, but there is sort of a couple of common threads. I mean, obviously, technology has been part of what we've done in one way or another, you know, for a long time. And the democratization of stuff, basically, the democratization yeah. of giving, the democratization of civic action, you know, really kind of some tenants that have s- sort of stayed the same no matter what initiative we're engaged in. If you've just tuned into our live stream on Facebook, you're watching Add Passion and Stir with Trenner Williams and Gene Case. Um, for somebody who is listening and says, um, gosh, I, I, I never really appreciated the role that technology could have or that philanthropy could take in terms of impact investing. Uh, if somebody's not the CEO of a technology company or uh, something like the Case Foundation, how can they get involved? How can they make a difference? So for me, um, sort of thinking about getting involved, um, part of it comes back to consciousness, right, and, and openness. And I, I think about one of the greatest skills of, of being an entrepreneur and being participatory is that willing to be open and flexible. Um, so I think at an individual level, that, that's uh, a, an opportunity for everybody to keep your eyes and ears open as, as you look out for, for opportunities. I think about this idea of sort of prepared awareness um, of, of thinking about, again, how can I participate and what can I get involved in and be willing to take a step um, risk tolerance is, is another thing. It, it's, it um, can be hard to take those leaps and step off um, a traditional path sometimes, um, but, but I think uh, done in thoughtful ways, it can, it can pay off uh, in big ways. I like that. Prepared awareness. Yeah. Risk tolerance. Yeah. Like the open. That. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So, you know, I said it's our 20th anniversary and our theme is Get in the Arena. Um, and we really, I think, would call on anyone to, to say, what do you care about? Because there are all kinds of ways that you can get engaged and get in the arena. And there are today, going back to technology, yeah. there are so many ways you can even go online and find some of these resources. You know, there's dosomething.org, there's mobilize.org, there's Mission Continues for our vets, there's billionpluschange.org for companies or entrepreneurs that are listening and want to bring professional skills. So tons of resources There's online. almost no excuse for not getting it. <laughs> yeah. Correct. But, you know, and And the last thing I want to say, Billy, is, you know, at the end of the day, we are just such a great country and we all celebrate, you know, all that's been so wonderful about the United States. But you remind us every day that here in this very rich and privileged country, we have kids going to sleep hungry, going to school hungry. So I would also say... Hashtag no kid hungry, <laughs> share you. our strength. I would. I mean, it's a great way, you know, to really feel like you're doing something that could make a difference to um, to change the pace of America in many ways. Um, last thing, just tell me what's next for each of you. You've got a young company that you're going to build. I think right. that's probably most <laughs> of it, Trenor. But um, but where do you, where do you intend to take your enterprises next? 
Yeah, so I'll go quickly first. Th- that's exactly right. So we're in the process of learning and partnering, as I said, really those public-private partnerships uh, in three or four places around the around the country. And our goal is to both fail fast and learn fast um, as we do it. So the in the technology world and agile uh, development and and being able to identify quick interventions that we think um, might have an impact on health and healthcare outcomes and and patients' lives, measure those opportunities. If it works, that's great scale, and if it doesn't, move to the next one, because I, I think that's the what organizations, what families, what communities are looking for is what interventions are really going to make a difference in their lives. And so the quicker that we can start to find the ones that work and where investments make sense and can double down on those, then the the faster that will make an impact on individual communities, on larger communities on the country. How about you, Jean? Well, we've talked a lot about my work at the Case Foundation, but I think you know, Billy, I'm also chairman at National Geographic yes, Society. Yes, and I'm so jealous. <laughs> that sounds like the best job in the world. And so where we go from here, I think what really jazzes me today is a lot of this technology and innovation that we're talking about is coming forward in science and in exploration. And so we have citizen scientists emerging all over the globe and new tools in their hands, et cetera. And we're you know, all about backing that at National Geographic and really democratizing exploration because technology is allowing people to use the simplest tools in some cases, you know, in their hand and their mobile phone to become explorers in new ways and contribute to data. On the climate change front, we're seeing all kinds of new technologies being brought, you know, to make a difference there. So I think when I'm thinking about the future, I'm more focused on that because there are so many opportunities to continue to bring innovation there. And I know we've got to wrap up, but I can't resist. What area of exploration are you most excited about? That well, just sounds incredible. I'm just back from Antarctica. So you that are. was, yeah, that was really amazing. a lot of fun cool. and really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, Can I give one more shout out just real quick? Please. Because it ties to share our strength. So oh, of course, then. In, in terms of what's next, um, we didn't mention yet, although we were talking about before we started, which is Chef Cycle. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. And so um, I, along with you and... And maybe Woody, our producer who's maybe listening. maybe Woody. Maybe Woody. He's thinking nice. about it. Nice. Uh, we'll be riding 300 miles um, in California this May um, with Chef Cycle with over 250 chefs from around the yeah. country to raise awareness and money for No Kid Hungry. Um, I am scared. <laughs> um, but excited about that opportunity and, and what that will mean. So. 100 miles a day yes. for three days. So it's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. And uh, last year we found, and I think we'll find this year, that people are really, they're eager to support it. And, of course, all the money raised goes to support the No Kid Hungry campaign. Right. So you've been listening to Ad Passion and Stir, Trenner Williams from Socially Determined, Gene Case, CEO of the Case Foundation. So thrilled that both of you are with us. Uh, thanks for listening and watching Ad Passion and Stir. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, guys. As Gandhi famously said, we often have to personally be the change that we want to see in the world. So if you're ready to use not only your head, but your heart, get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, That's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post. Don't just preach. Get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. 
Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.